0: Hello, and welcome to the John 315 Podcast, the show where we break open the mysteries of the most popular and misunderstood Bible verses, and put them back into context. I am your host, they call me Jonathan, Baba is me, Van Schenk. and here's my co-host, they call him Jeremy Swingle 64. Now, Jeremy, why do they call you Jeremy Swingle 64? Because I'm (laughs) three-dimensional. With a really, really bad polygon mesh, right? Yeah, yeah, I could look a
1: little more attractive, but uh, but I am three dimensional, and um, <laughs> you can uh, you can control me any way you like with a controller.
0: <laughs> and if you just like, and if you just tap the A button with exactly the right timing, you'll do this awesome triple jump and say "woohoo!"
1: <laughs> yeah, or if you just hold the Z button and then hit A, you do a, a long jump, you know. And then you get a wahoo!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the reference that we're all making right here is that uh, Jeremy has been playing an inordinate amount of Super Mario 64 recently.
1: (laughs) Yeah, inordinate is right. I actually got uh, all 120 stars. So, you know, not to brag or anything. But
0: uh... (laughs) Oh, that's just just so good. Okay,
1: so, John, you're going to have to explain because I didn't get the reference either. Why do they call you Baba is me?
0: <laughs> well, there's this uh, this game that came out um, recently. Well, I, I think it's been out for a little while now, but it's called Baba is You. Uh, and um, <laughs> it's, it's this puzzle game and it is phenomenal. It's like the best puzzle game that I've ever played. Um, the, the, the premise of it is that there is this tiny little sheep called Baba and uh, you can control the sheep and like move him around and you push word blocks um, or, uh, you know, uh, around the map to try to like, uh, uh, maneuver things. But the, the kind of the core mechanic is that when you move the word blocks, you can like form sentences that change the rules of the game. So, you know, there might be a sentence that says like wall is stop. And there's like a wall that's preventing you from getting to the goal. And, but if you just like maneuver over and then like push the is out of the way, then the sentence wall is stop isn't there anymore. And so there isn't a rule that says that the wall stops you anymore. And so you can just like walk through walls and get to the goal. And <laughs> so there's just like so much chicanery that you do in this game to like maneuver around and like break the rules. Uh, like, like literally rewriting the mechanics of the game uh, to, to try to beat all these puzzles. And it's just so much fun. So there it is. The joke is that, that uh, you know, I have become Baba. I have become one with the game to uh, defeat all of these puzzles.
1: Well, speaking of chicanery, um, we are now the day, the morning, I guess, we are recording this after the election night, um, and it's looking to be a fun one, by which I mean absolutely not a fun one for anybody. <laughs> um, and uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure anybody's happy with what's happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's looking like it's going to the courts and um I think it's a good day to remember uh, just the fact that like, given that we're all sinners before God, there's a lot that is more similar between people than different, <laughs> because there's going to be a lot of division going forward in, the, in this country. So I think our verse today might put everybody on a little more of an even playing field. Uh, what do you think, John?
0: I think so. Well, with that, let's get into uh, this verse uh, and see what, what we have going on. Cut the chit chat. Let's crack open the word. So this is the first podcast in a, a series that we're going to be doing on something called the Romans Road. Now, Jeremy, what is the Romans Road?
1: Yeah, well, the Romans Road is kind of this um, evangelistic tool that you'll hear used from time to time, um, and the idea is it goes through these different passages in the Book of Romans to explain kind of the whole gospel. I don't know, I. It's been a while since I've heard someone use the Romans road, but I definitely, when I was little, kind of got walked through the Romans road. And uh, I think it's still pretty popular today as a means of, you know, teaching the gospel to someone who doesn't know about it yet. Uh, And that's kind of what it's all about.
0: Yeah, so let's let's like walk through. There's five verses um, that are traditionally associated with the Romans road. And let's just kind of go through them and kind of like walk through the steps of the way that you might hear the Romans road being used by somebody as an evangelistic tool.
1: All right, John, evangelize
0: me. <laughs> walk, walk me through it. So, you know, I come to you and I say, well, you know, Romans as Romans 323 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, you know, and so this means that like everybody sins Everybody's fallen short and like nobody is like right when they stand before God, like everybody is messed up. And then, you know, at this point, you know, I might kind of prompt you to to consider the ways that you have fallen short. If we were doing the way of the master, uh, good old Ray Comfort, you know, I would walk you through (laughs) the, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Ten Commandments and like, you know, say like, ah, have you have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever told a lie? And, you know, like that, that, that whole kind of thing.
1: Wow. So I am persuaded. I am persuaded. Everybody is a sinner. What do I do next? What do I think next?
0: Exactly. Well, it gets worse because as Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, so the deal here is that uh, sin, this thing that everybody has done, uh, deserves a punishment and that punishment is death. So, you know, you've just acknowledged the fact that you're sinful. Well, it's really bad because that means that like, the punishment for that is death like you're you're kind of done for in terms of the sin side of things all right i'm going to die fair enough but what what next well hey there is some good news because as romans 5:8 says but god demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us so we see that even though we are sinners and we deserve death jesus that is god who has become man has initiated redemption for us, so that he has come and died for us, and we're going to hear more about what all of that means in a second here, but essentially that God has taken the first step in Uh, uh, trying to set this whole sin thing right.
1: Well, then what do we do in response to that? I'm
0: glad that you asked, because as Romans 10... (laughs) I'm like the easiest person to (laughs) evangelize to in human history. Yeah, this is great. (laughs) Uh, Because as Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's really clear cut. You just have to acknowledge and put yourself under the lordship of Jesus. That's the confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And hey, then you'll be saved. The benefits of Christ's death will be applied to you. And uh, uh, now you will be declared righteous. We've talked about that in a previous episode. This is justification. You will be justified and so saved because of Christ's death on your behalf. Wow. Okay. I believe. Great. Great. Well, you, now that you believe, you can rest in this great encouragement of Romans 8.1 that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or some people might go uh, and use Romans 5.1 instead and say, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there you go. Now that you've confessed and believed, you have peace with God and you can rest in that truth.
1: All right. Wow. Well, I'm a Christian now. Thank you, Romans Road.
0: Yeah. See, isn't that great that we just have this like really nice clear cut set of five points uh, and that if you're evangelizing to somebody, you just kind of walk through these five verses and it helps you kind of outline exactly what the gospel message is. Isn't that awesome?
1: It is awesome. And hey, it's like pretty accurate too. Those are the steps of the gospel. So I don't know, why would two curmudgeons like you and I want to (laughs) tackle the Romans road on our podcast about you know, incorrect Bible verses.
0: Yeah, and, and for this one I think we want to be really careful because the Romans road and the way that it's used is theologically like totally true. It 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 it's exactly right. The this idea that everybody has sin, that sin deserves death, but God initiates salvation, and that if we trust in Christ that then we will be saved and there's no condemnation for us. Like all of that is spot on. The problem that, that I think we have with the Romans Road, and that we'll be sort of sussing out over the course of these few next few episodes here, is that uh, it's not so much the, um, the way that people, or the like applications that people derive from the verses of the Romans Road, but just that the way that they're using the verses isn't actually the way that Paul intended those verses to be interpreted necessarily, so it's, you know, it it's that it's theologically true, but like in context, the, the actual verse that you're quoting doesn't really mean the thing that you're trying to make it mean, even though what you're trying to make it mean is totally true.
1: Yeah, well, and so I think we have this uh, idea that maybe the context of these verses is going to be important in teaching us what they're about. Obviously, that's kind of the point of our show. But I would also say that, The Romans road strikes me as a little bit incomplete. Uh, We got those five steps and they're all wonderful, lovely, true, you know, steps. Like I like this road. Okay. I'm along the road with, with Mr. Romans, like we're, we're doing this, but there's things it doesn't cover that I think are pretty important to a presentation of the gospel. For example, what happened to Christ's ascension? Um, The verses covered don't mention anything after the, you know, being raised uh, from the dead. Uh, so you know what what happens with christ 's ascension that 's a very important uh doctrine that that isn 't talked about. The fact that Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty um, is pretty important and uh and sadly, I think a lot of people think it just the story ends at the resurrection of jesus so where 's christ 's ascension uh, also, what about baptism? I mean come on, this is like an evangelism you know primer to somebody who you know might want to become a Christian, and the first thing you would do if you became a Christian would be to get baptized and Romans is full of teaching about baptism. So where where does that factor in here? Um, and there's others too that maybe wouldn't teach upon like a first evangelistic message to somebody, but which I think are still very important to a full understanding of salvation. stuff that you know, as soon as you become a Christian, you would want to learn about. So stuff like glorification. Uh, for example, the fact that our bodies will be raised to be like Christ's heavenly body and and we will, you know, have perfect bodies in heaven um, on an embodied new earth, right? Those sorts of personal eschatology things. Or perseverance, that's another one. Like the fact that all true believers will will stay true believers, you know, or there's some people who disagree with that. But one way or another, it would be good for new Christians to figure out their doctrine when it comes to that. I don't know. It, it, I think we could add a little bit to the Roman's road and we actually could keep in Romans. (laughs) We could do a bunch of extra verses in the book of Romans to make the Roman's road a little bit more, I don't know, put a little more sights along the path, you know, a little bit more to to chew on as you walk along this road. So yeah, we're going to be talking about all five of these steps on the Roman's road And uh, we're going to do, I think we're then going to try to do a final recap episode where we just kind of nerd out and come up with our own extended Romans road. That'll be pretty fun. That'll be pretty, uh, I don't know, creative, I guess. That might be the most creative you ever hear us uh, on this podcast, coming up with our new ideas. But uh, one term we're probably going to use a lot over the next few episodes that would be good to define here at the outset, is this word soteriology. So what does,
0: what does soteriology mean, Jeremy?
1: Right. Well, soter in Greek means a savior. So soteriology is the study of salvation, the doctrines concerning how we become saved, how Christ saves us, what he does to save us, how we respond to it. And so all five steps on the Romans' road concern the topic of soteriology as do some of the, the topics I was just talking about, like perseverance and glorification and even
0: baptism is is related to soteriology. Certainly, but as a point of what we're going to be talking about, where, I mean, the whole deal with the Romans road is like, how is one saved? And that's like the the fancy theology term for how, like, how is it that one is saved? Is like when you're studying that or figuring that out, that's that's soteriology. The same way that like, you know, bio means life, and so biology is the study of life. So soteriology um, is the study of salvation. Well, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into the first part, I think. What do you think? Yeah, no, that's great. We've talked a little bit about the, you know, maybe not misconceptions, but the... Uh, some of the aspects of the Romans road broadly that we are going to talk about over the next few episodes here but let's dive into our first step on the Romans road uh and that's Romans 323 and uh, let's get into a little bit about uh uh maybe misconceptions or misapplications of this specific verse and then do our usual thing of delving in and say what does this verse really mean in context so jeremy what's the deal with Romans 323 well it come smack dab in the middle of an extremely hotly
1: debated little passage in Romans. Uh, One commentary that I have on my shelf has like 22 pages just on the verses Romans 3, 21 through 26. Um, And that's uh, Thomas Schreiner's commentary. He's he's awesome, by the way. Love his Romans commentary. Uh, But yeah, it's like... Quite a few pages on each of the verses. (laughs) So, uh, fortunately, though, 23 itself, I mean, the the passage around it has lots of issues that are debated, but 23 itself is pretty simple, uh, which is great because we don't have to (laughs) delve into... uh, Lots of technicalities in our you know, episode today. We don't have to talk about subjective versus objective genitives in the interpretation of the phrase, the faith of Jesus Christ or faith in Jesus Christ. Those are huge debates right now. Um, in the biblical studies world, man, that was a lot of grammar jargon that you just dumped on us there, Jeremy. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, that was my, I was hoping that nobody would ask if I just said that, that we could just leave that topic alone for the whole (laughs) podcast. (laughs) But, uh, suffice it to say there's, there's debate on this, but, um, we're going to acknowledge it, but I don't think our interpretation of verse 23 is dependent on a lot of those debates. But, okay, so the verse itself, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, okay, everyone sins. That's obvious, okay? That's what the verse means. Duh, sounds cut and dry. But, um, my friend, I want you to pay close attention to the exact words used in the verse. And you'll notice that uh, the very, the second word in this verse is, Duh, duh, duh. All. It's our little friend. <laughs> it's true, because All means all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Literally every single person, right? Well, yeah, including Jesus. Totally. Because all.
0: (laughs) So we are going to be spending a while chatting about how do we make sense of this word all in the for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and try to figure out who exactly is included and who is in view of this verse. Additionally, another thing that you might stick out to you is the verse starts with a for, for all have sinned. And once again, this is just your cue. Whenever you have an and or a but or a therefore or a for, it's to clue you in that the previous verses might have something to say about what this verse means. So we'll be delving into that as well. It's time for the meat. The meat.
1: Well, since we're going to be spending so much time in Romans in the next few episodes, I think we might as well figure out where we're at in this book. And I think, I guess, kind of as we go on with these episodes, we'll get a full picture of the contents of Romans, even though we're only going to be honing in on a few sections. But uh, So this this could also double as sort of a whirlwind tour of the, the theology of Romans. But uh, So let's get up to 323. Let's get up to speed. What happened in the first... Uh, section up to this. Uh, Well, so first of all, it's a letter, one of Paul's letters. So first 17 verses are an introduction of the letter. You know, uh, hi, I'm Paul. I'm the dude who wrote this, Uh, you know, (laughs) like he wouldn't have even needed to to identify himself because (laughs) of course it's Paul. He's rambling about doctrine and Jews and Gentiles, right? Like it's, (laughs) we know it's you, Paul. Um, (laughs) But uh, so he introduces the letter. He explains his purpose in writing. Um, and, uh, then he launches into this interesting discussion for the rest of chapter one about, uh, the sinfulness of the Gentiles and, you know, him being a Jew, uh, he wants to, you know, really dig into those sin, sinning Gentiles and and get them good. Right. His idea, I think after that is then he's going to indict his fellow Jews for also being sinners. And this takes up the beginning of chapter two all the way through to verse eight of chapter three. Um, And this section starts with the verse that says, uh, it says, therefore, you have no excuse. O man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge practice the very same things. And so kind of in a similar vein to do not judge or you too will be judged. Matthew 7, 1. Paul's like, "Hey, you Jew over here who's listening to my, you know, epic takedown uh of the of the Gentiles, um you also need to be taken down a peg because you also are a sinner." Okay? So, so that's that section. And then before we get to this little 21 through 26 section of chapter 3, you have a 12-verse section from 3.9 to 3.20, where Paul uses a lot of Old Testament quotations to kind of show and prove his point and kind of like clinch it that both Jews and Gentiles are under sin. Uh, And he starts this section saying, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Um, as it is written, and then he goes on to quote all these psalms. None is righteous; no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Um, and I won't read the entire section, but uh, th- you know, there is no fear of God before their eyes. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good; not even one. Uh, so that's that section. And uh, finally, then we're going to get to these last two verses, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And now when we get to verse 21, it's going to start with these two interesting words, but now. (laughs) which are two very significant words theologically. So he's painted this picture of Jews and Greeks. Jews are, you know, Greeks is another word for Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. We're all guilty before God. And even if you're a Jew, the law doesn't justify you. It only makes you aware of sin, gives you knowledge of your sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law that's how verse 21 will start. So we've kind of taken a look at at what's happened so far. Let's understand when we come into 323, we're actually going to see in it the repetition of an argument or actually even just the conclusion of an argument that took Paul three chapters to make. He talked from 118 to 320 about how everybody is a sinner before God, both the Jew and and the Gentile. So when we get to 23, Paul is saying something that he's already made an argument for. And I think that's really crucial to understand
0: uh, when we want to understand 323 itself. So with that background, let's go ahead and just read the section of chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now, again, that's that key phrase, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we see exactly what Jeremy was just saying there, that Paul is essentially summing up his whole argument. He's kind of coming to this concluding point here and saying in the context of the law, there is like no one who's going to be upheld. You know, the the Jew has broken the law. The Gentile, though they do not have the law, have violated their conscience. And so both of these categories of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, are in this state of sin. And that's kind of like where Paul is coming to with this, of, you know, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So his point here is that the Jew is not in a place where he can say, well, I have the law, and so I am better than you Gentile. I am, you know, maybe less sinful or more uh, in God's good graces because I have the law. That's not true at all. The law merely condemns the Jew, even as the Gentile is also condemned by his or her conscience. Yeah. And uh, to help us along the path to making sure we're understanding it correctly, if we read
1: on to verse 27, which is kind of starting a new section, so we won't get too much into it, but it starts with Paul asking a question, then what becomes of our boasting? And he says, it is excluded. Our boasting is excluded. And the reason why our boasting is excluded is because Paul has just made the argument that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by the same means. We all have the same, like we're all in the same boat, right? There's no distinction, he says. Jews and Gentiles are, are in this terrible, awful, sinking boat of being sinful together. Yes, there's not two boats. <laughs> yes. And since we're all in the same legal predicament, Paul is arguing that our means of legal justification must also be the same because both Jew and Gentile have violated God's law in one way or another. Yeah. So what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded because Jews aren't better people than Gentiles and Gentiles aren't better people than Jews. And also the means by which God chooses to accept us is identical, no matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. So that helps us understand we're on the right track because the only reason Paul is asking that question and, you know, just kind of destroying the idea of boasting, he's able to say that because he's just argued that everybody is on an even playing field and nobody really gets to argue that they came out on top of this between Jew and Gentile. So that being said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it seems kind of obvious, right, that that all means everybody with the exception of, of course, Jesus. And the reason we think that, of course, is because, yeah, it's theologically correct that every single person is an Adam uh, and is a sinner from birth and needs to be, you know, uh, redeemed to be in Christ, uh, but actually, if we look at the context here, I'm not sure that this is what Paul is primarily thinking about. I'm I'm thinking of things in terms of like all meaning. Jew and Gentile have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I think there's several reasons for this. And, and I, I think you're probably going to agree with me, John, given that we both are skeptical of the overuse of the word all, or the, I guess the overinterpretation of the word all. Yeah. So I
0: don't know. Let's, let's dig into it. Yeah. So we've, we've talked previously about Paul in his uh, preoccupation with the question of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, this is relevant in uh, some of the previous podcasts that we did. In fact, we talked about this in just the previous episode uh, on James 2 when we were talking about the new thought on Paul uh, and this whole idea that, um, you know, when Paul is talking about, uh, uh, you know, a number of different ideas theologically, he has in his mind the two categories of Jew and Gentile. Now, we we talked about that, that previously in the context of justification by faith and how, you know, people who are part of the New Thought on Paul movement tend to interpret that of like, oh, yeah, it's like you're not justified by things like circumcision, because, you know, they would say that, oh, Paul is very preoccupied with thinking of circumcision as this differentiation between Jew and Gentile. And, you know, we, to some extent, agree with the, the, the points that they're bringing up there. Uh, and we're seeing that same kind of thing being brought up in this case as well, of the previous discussion has been about Jews and Gentiles kind of as these corporate groups. Now, we can kind of bolster this point a little bit more if we take a look at uh, Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Now, this is in a bit of a different context, but we'll loop it back again here in a second. So, starting in verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit So we see here that, you know, Paul kind of in the middle of his, in the letter, kind of takes this moment to express this anguish that he feels that Jews have rejected Christ. Um, You know, and and in part what he's bringing up is this whole idea that, you know, the Jews were, you know, for, you know, most of history, God's chosen people. They're the ones who were, uh, you know, uh, given the covenant at Mount Sinai—they're the ones who were entrusted with God's law. They were given the covenants, and it's even like from their direct uh, uh, descendants that Jesus comes. Like Jesus was a Jew as well, so the you know the Christ who saves the whole world is the uh, uh, you know he he is himself a Jew, and so the Jews have this very special place in relationship to God, and and so Paul is you know articulating this anguish that he feels that many of the Jews have rejected Christ, you know, that they're kind of in the perfect position to be preeminent uh, uh, in relationship with God, and yet they have rejected that position. And so, again, it's sort of this idea that Paul is really thinking in these categories of there are the Jews and then there are the Gentiles, and the differentiation between those two is really important in his theology.
1: Yeah, this is definitely definitely an area in which the new perspective on Paul has some important insights, and um, they need to be listened to because Paul himself, beyond just constantly talking about Jew and Gentile issues, uh, Paul directly comes right out and just emotionally sort of vomits on the reader <laughs> at times. you know He says, "I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart about this. Um, Paul directly identifies the Jew Gentile question as the burning passion of his heart. Right. And and he does that in multiple places in multiple ways, kind of like if if you go in Galatians, his absolute like flabbergasted hatred of the idea that circumcision is necessary for salvation. He's like, well, what the heck is the point of any of this (laughs) if if circumcision is and he gets very angry at the the heresy going on in, in the churches in Galatia because of that? Um so you know Paul is interested in lots of theological topics this isn't the only topic for him but it certainly is the one that gets him riled up that I don't think that's debatable that's like of all things and particularly how god bringing together jew and gentile in one body in the church glorifies god right that's that is paul's concern is that god is glorified by the purchasing for himself of a people from every tribe tongue and nation, not just from Jews and uh, not just from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. And particularly in Romans, as we've touched on the fact that that excludes our boasting that for Paul is a absolutely huge thing, right? Like he's going to boast in Christ, not in being a Jew. That's he says that in multiple different letters. That's his deal. So kind of the recap, Jew Gentile relations, Paul's very emotional about it. He's very concerned about it. He's concerned that God has given glory for the bringing together of Jew and Gentile in the church, and he's concerned that human beings have no right or ground to boast, either to each other or to God, about the works that they have done. So, Paul's always thinking about these things.
0: Certainly, and I think there's another point that we should emphasize here, and that is uh, I, I, I think a lot of times in the like modern U.S. where we have a very individualistic perspective of a reality that we really, we tend to think in terms of individuals, uh, uh, kind of first and foremost, that's kind of the, the, the history of the West is, you know, we have been really big on, on you know, thinking about individuals. I, I, I don't think we have, or, or, or it, it's sometimes hard for us to really grasp the importance for Paul of these corporate identities of Jew and Gentile, you know, in like I, I definitely find this in my own head when I'm reading. It's like it's really easy for me to think of it's you know not like groups of it's not like the Jews and the Gentiles. It's like a bunch of people who happen to be Jews and a bunch of people who happen to be Gentiles, and that's I I don't know not quite the way that Paul is thinking about this. And and you can actually see this in the way that like the Old Testament treats the the category of the jews or, or in the old testament they would be the israelites uh, at, at that point that would be kind of the term that the that scripture uses where it's like if, if you think about the covenant that god makes with israel like at sinai so this is like you know after the exodus and you know they, they come to sinai and you know they uh strike this covenant and it's you know right before they kind of uh start wandering through the desert before they go to the promised land you know, it's not really that God makes a covenant with each individual person who is part, who is an Israelite. It's like God makes a covenant with the entire group of Israel. And that's kind of an important distinction there that, you know, like ostensibly there are tons of like kids who are, you know, too young to necessarily really understand what's going on at Sinai, but like they're totally included in Israel. And I mean, you know, when they grow up, they're going to be the Israelites of the, you know, the future who are going to then be responsible for maintaining this covenant that God has made. So kind of in in the Old Testament, this idea of like covenants and relationships and like the way that God interacts with people is, there is kind of the sense that God does have relationships with groups of people that, is not really wholly breakdownable into the individual constituent piece, like members of that group. You know, that there is a kind of relationship that God has with Israel that's not the same thing as just his aggregated relationship with all of the individual Israelites. I don't know, John. Kind of sounds like infant baptism to me. (laughs) We'll have to do an episode on baptism in the future. But uh, for... (laughs) But for what's relevant in, in, in this case, I think it's important to, to understand that I think Paul, when he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, has in his mind closer to that corporate understanding than what we would necessarily assume uh, from reading Paul. So when he talks about, you know, all have sinned, Jews and Gentiles, he is making, I think, a closer statement when, when he uses that word all it. I don't think Paul has in his mind all have sinned. Like literally, if you were to name every single Israelite, you know, I I mean that, you know, Frank, the Israelite has sinned. And, you know, Sebastian, the Gentile has also sinned. Like, that's not what's going through Paul's head. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought about the crab and the little mermaid. (laughs) Oh, Sebastian's
1: not my Sebastian. (laughs) He can't be a sinner. No, I think you're right, John. Um, the Well, and maybe this sounds like we're sort of splitting hairs, right? Because we are going to argue in a minute that all actually does mean all <laughs> in this context as well. Um, but I do agree that for Paul, this corporate understanding is the first thing that he's thinking about. And that does matter for how we interpret this. Um, but the, I think I would point to the fact that verse 22 literally says, For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift, right? So he's saying there is no distinction, meaning there is nothing about being a Jew that makes anything about this different than being a Gentile, Um, except for perhaps, you know, you had the law, but you broke the law. So it doesn't matter at this point, right? (laughs) All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yeah, so I think given that there is no distinction clause right before Um, I think we have to conclude that Paul is thinking about Jew-Gentile relations first and foremost here. Um, The other thing I would point to is that if you follow the grammar of the verse, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. So if you take out that middle stuff about sinning and falling short of the glory of God, what you get is the phrase, all are justified by his grace as a gift. And then you're like, wait. Hold, hold the phone. <laughs> you know, not everybody is justified. There are people who don't belong to Christ. Not everybody is, is you know, justified. So because of that, I don't think we can, we can say all means every single individual. Because, yeah, the grammar of the verse wouldn't work very well then. Um, I think Paul's idea is all categories of people are guilty of sin um, and, and they arrived at that in their own ways, but they're all guilty of sin, and therefore all categories of people need to become legally justified by the same means, you know, by the the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ, and the redemption that that brings to us. So, yeah. So I it's weird that we use this verse uh, when there's literally just a couple of verses earlier. We have Romans three twenty, which says, uh, "By works of the law, no human being." will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Well, 3.20 seems to be directly saying that every single individual uh, is incapable of being justified by the law, but has to be justified by faith. So in the context, we do have Paul acknowledging the individual aspect of this. But 3.23 itself seems to be talking about those corporate aspects you were mentioning, John.
0: Definitely. And so, you know, maybe to you know, a little bit of language that we could use around this to, to make sense of it is that the meaning of the verse is that there, you know, both categories of people, that is Jew and Gentile, are uh, uh, in the state of being like sinful. Like, oh, if, if you're a Jew, you're in the Jew category and the Jews are sinful. Oh, if you're a Gentile, you're in the Gentile category and Gentiles are sinful is, you know, kind of the point. Now, that has the application that, well, if, you know, there's two kinds, if there's two groups of people and both of them are sinful, that means all of the people individually are sinful as well. But it, like, but that, I don't think that's what the verse means. I think that is a, like a derived application from this verse. It's a good and necessary inference to make from the
1: verse, but it's not what Paul is trying to say. It's not his point. That's kind of what I'm hearing you say.
0: Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's like Paul wouldn't disagree with your what you're saying, but he isn't saying what you're saying in this verse.
1: Yes. And in fact, he did say what we're saying and what the Romans road is saying. He said it three verses earlier. <laughs> no human being, right? That's not talking about Jews and Gentiles. Well, okay. I mean, I mean, it is, but he's talking individually about Jews and Gentiles in that verse. So, and, and maybe this, you know we kind of we we dug a little bit into the new perspective on Paul last week but i think this is my issue with a lot of these uh these folks is they they notice this like whole corporate thing that is sorely sort of missed in the um i guess the evangelical church today protestant churches in general um sort of downplay this
0: and particularly in the individualistic west
1: sure yes 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 because we just don't understand uh, the, the way that Jews thought about groups of people. And that is correct. Like, that's a correct observation. But the, the, there seems to be this desire to, ch- like, change the whole thing so that it's only about corporate groups of people. But that's f- clearly, like, groups of people involve individuals um, <laughs> as well. And you can't divorce the two uh, by by any stretch. Like, that's not even possible and so, you know, it, you sometimes you do see people make this argument like, oh, didn't you know that that chapter is actually about the Jews and the Gentiles and their relations with one another and that, uh, you know, it isn't talking about, like, Luther was not even paying attention to that. And it's like, well, yeah, but Luther was making a good and necessary inference from the text. <laughs> like, and, and, you know, and, and in some cases, Paul is directly talking about individuals, like in Romans 3.20. So... Yeah. So as we as we just like kind of tear apart the, you know, evangelical, (laughs) you know, Baptist Romans road, like as we tear it apart, I'm not like giving credence to this. Like, I don't know, simplistic new perspective of Paul approach um, where like, oh, like now all of a sudden
0: individual
1: salvation isn't a concern of Paul's. That's ludicrous.
0: Yeah. So we see that, you know, for Paul, he gets riled up and emotional about the question of, you know, Jew and Gentile relations. But we can see that Jeremy gets riled up about people misunderstanding that Jew and Gentile corporate relations is the only thing that Paul cares about. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or that that caring about those
1: relations wouldn't include a hundred other important issues around it, (laughs) which it most certainly does.
0: Well, hey, I think we've talked a whole lot about, uh, you know, this idea of all and who is actually meant by the all in this verse. But we are, you know, kind of glossing over the whole second part of the verse of, you know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, I mean, what does that really mean to like fall short of God's glory? That's a good question.
1: I think this part just kind of gets skipped over. (laughs) You know, the idea of referencing Romans 3.23 in the road is to say that we've all sinned. But
0: like, how did we sin? You know, falling short of the glory of God. That's a pretty crazy phrase. And I think way more specific than just sin. I I agree entirely. Or at least it carries a particular kind of nuance that is a subcategory. Sure. Well, how do you figure? Well, we can can think about like, it's an interesting phrase like the glory of God and like falling short of the glory of God. And for me, I think that this evokes the idea of, like, well, you know, if, if we're falling short of it, then ostensibly there's some kind of sense in which we shouldn't be falling short of it, that we've, we should be, like, achieving the glory of God. It, you know, it's kind of the, in my head, the, the implication of this verse. So what does it mean to then, like, in the positive construction, be, like, achieving the glory of God? Now, you know, I, I think that this is a reference to the fall that like man before the fall, you know, in, in the state of being in Eden did have this, you know, was this, you know, had the state of like achieving God's glory or like in, you know, inhabiting God's glory that was lost as part of the fall. You know, we, you know, we see this particularly in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 7, where it talks about like, you know, man is the image and glory of God. So there's kind of this linking of, you know, man in, you know, Genesis is created in the image of God. And then Paul in, you know, 1 Corinthians is linking that to, you know, the image of God is connected with the glory of God. So, I, I, you know, I think that there is this connection that's being made between the glory and the image here. So in the fall, when we have, you know, fallen short of God's glory, that it is, you know, sort of connected to, you know, defacing or disrespecting God's image that we have been made in. So it is, it's a like rejection of the way that we are supposed to be imaging God.
1: Sure. And that defacing and disrespecting of God's image is something that we are born with because we are in Adam. That's, that's how Paul thinks of it, you know, so we, we, uh, we, we can do things to actively deface and disrespect God's image, but also we fall short of his glory just by virtue of the fact that we are fallen. And, and so there's an element of this, which is both just who we are, <laughs> like we are the fallen image of God and that, you know, then we fall short of his glory. But then it's also kind of like what we do you know, to fall short of it. So, and, and one thing that I think of, I think the fall aspect of this is right, but I think for Paul, there might also be a second idea of understanding the image of God, the glory of God. Uh, and, and I would actually point to Romans 1, where you have Paul's explanation of the sinfulness of the Gentiles, where it says, you know, the Gentiles did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Uh, And then the next two verses, so this is 24 and 25, say, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So in this passage, you have the glory of the immortal God being exchanged for images resembling things that are mortal. So you have the immortal and mortal contrasted. And then in the very next two verses, Paul repeats his point by saying that the truth about God, quote unquote, is exchanged for worshiping and serving the creature. So you have two different ways of saying the same thing. I think Paul is is doing that. You have, exchanging the glory of the immortal god for idols of mortal things and then you have exchanging the truth about god for the worship of the creature so i i'd say like we fall short of the glory of god when we replace god with mortal things um or when we suppress the truth about him that we should know that if we believe false things about god then we have fallen short of his glory so I guess any and every kind of sin in this, in this case would be falling short of God's glory. Anything that is valuing something mortal, something that's part of the creation, above the immortal God, even if we're not bowing down to it, you know, if we're spending all our time on it, then that's another way that, that, uh, that we might be putting it above God and therefore falling short of God's glory.
0: Totally, Jeremy. Yeah, and and I think the thing that sticks out to me is also you see in uh, this this connection that's being made uh, between glory and images uh, is is kind of what sticks out to me in this that you know they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and so in my head there's this really interesting connection being made here that rather than you know being like living into our our like state as being the image bearers of God we are instead worshipping images of things resembling mortal man so it, you know it's almost this idea of rather than being the image of God we are worshipping other images that are not God um you know and, and and that's kind of being connected with this this like glory or this like achieving or falling short of the glory and so, you know, for me, it, it really is kind of this connection with a a breaking of our proper relationship and orientation toward God, which, you know, is, is something that we've talked about in previous episodes, um, you know, particularly our one talking about speech that, you know, kind of the, the issue is, uh, uh, you know, not having a right orientation toward God. And so in this one where, you know, Paul is saying, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God— You're totally right, Jeremy, that he's linking us back to what the argument that he's already made in Romans 1, but also kind of leveraging these much earlier ideas, you know, from Genesis as well, all to kind of make the point of, so it's not just like violating an element of what, you know, God's law says, which, you know, might be one way that you could understand, you know, what he means for all have sinned that, you know, particularly for the Jew that they've like, you know, violated God's law, but that I think it's something deeper than that, this falling short of the glory of God, you know, being connected to this wrong orientation towards uh, God or this like misapplication of the like worship that we should have for God being directed towards other things, these like images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things, you know, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And so it's almost this kind of summing up of all of these things together. Of It's not just the things that we do, but even just fundamentally our orientation toward God and toward the world is itself misapplied. It's time for the other meat. Well, I think um, we've already been saying this a
1: lot, but, uh, you know, it, first application point, if all have sinned, then we're on an even playing field. So this should further encourage us to not judge one another. You know, our boasting's been excluded. And um, so, you know, again, uh, we're about to come into a very interesting time uh, in the United States with the results of this election, which are looking absurdly close. They might come down to the courts. Um, Now would be a really good time to realize that, you know, like (laughs) just like Jews and Gentiles aren't one exceptionally sinful over the other, um, you know, uh, Republicans are not uh, sinless uh, heroes and neither are Democrats. (laughs) Like, it just seems like a very obvious, immediate point to be made, like uh,
0: keeping the peace between one another. I think another application point that we could make from this is, uh, you know, kind of connected to maybe the reason why we're writing this podcast episode is just being careful around the way that we are using scripture. Uh, and, and, And that is that, you know, you, you, can be, you can be correct in the things that you're saying and still not necessarily be using a verse properly, which is kind of what we've seen here with Romans 3.23. And so I think it's just an encouragement to, uh, uh, I guess, just be careful that the, uh, you know, the way that you're using scripture is actually backed up by the things that, this, that scripture is actually saying. Um, you know, on, on the one hand, because one, you don't want to be wrong, but on the second hand is even if you're right, you still want to be right for the right reasons, Um, You know, I can can think about that, you know, it may not be necessarily a a super likely situation where you're using Romans 3.23 in an evangelistic context, and then somebody calls you on it, and they're like, well, actually, this is really just about corporate groups of, you know, Jews and Gentiles, like, you know, (laughs) like Jeremy was talking about before. Did you check whether all means all?
1: (laughs) Imagine the person saying that.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. The likelihood that someone calls you on that, uh, you know, in the in the context that you'd be using it is pretty low. But I think there's kind of a broader point to be made that, you know, if you're going to be using scripture to make an argument to some to somebody, you should be doing so in a way that is faithful to what scripture is actually saying, because somebody might try to call you on it. And then like what witness is that making about Uh, uh, you know, Christians, about Christ, about your own faith, if, you know, you are in fact abusing a scripture to try to make a point, it calls into question the point that you're making.
1: Well, so I think um, another application point, like, let's reflect on what it means to be an image bearer of God and to have the capacity to fall short of God's glory. Um, Like, why that's so deadly serious you know, and, um, why our sin is so offensive to God because of this, this reality. Yeah. Th- that we can offend God so deeply by, by falling short of his glory. I think that should drive us to both, you know, be more thankful to God for justifying us despite our sin. Um, and it should also, you know, uh, cause us to want to, to you know, do better to, to not fall short as much. Um, it should drive us to want to achieve the glory of God, Um, with the power of the Spirit, of course, and as a justified sinner, um, not perfectly, but uh, doing the best we can to glorify God.
0: Certainly. And I think maybe an extension of that point would be an encouragement not to shrink back from contemplating what our own sin and falling short of God's glory may be. Because kind of Paul's whole point here is that You know, everybody in these categories is sinful. Everybody in these categories has fallen short of uh, God's glory. And so this isn't like, you know, sinning and falling short of God's glory isn't something that like disqualifies us from accessing righteousness through faith in Christ. And so we don't need to be afraid of the introspection of trying to seek out like, you know, where are the places that we fall short, you know, in an attempt to try to you know, correct them and be sensitive to the spirit's conviction. But you know, we we shouldn't be afraid of uh, like looking into that because there is no uh, uh you know there is no sinner falling short that is beyond God's power to uh, uh, save us from. All right. Well, maybe maybe let's throw out an application
1: point just about the Romans Road in general. Uh, evangelism by nature is you know it needs to be short to the point. You need to make sure you sell. Uh, maybe sell is not the right word, but you need to make sure you get to the the point quickly. Um, and 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 sell the gospel, uh, in a succinct manner. But there's no excuse for Christians, you know, once people are believers, not to delve deeper into soteriology. It's one of the most important aspects of growing in our faith to understand this mystery of our salvation. And honestly, you know knowledge of basic soteriology is just kind of abysmal <laughs> in the evangelical church. Uh, it just kind of is. We don't, I mean, we don't know that much about topics like sanctification. Uh, we don't know that much about topics like uh, like the ascension I was mentioning earlier. The ascension hardly gets mentioned. It, it's one of the most important things to know that Christ didn't just rise from the dead, but he now sits at the right hand of God, the father almighty, like he's exalted, um,
0: like these sorts of things uh, just kind of get skipped over. And our final application point uh, is, you know, this Paul's whole point here is that we're all in the same boat, Jew and Gentile. We're in the same boat of beings uh, in sin. And the conclusion that he draws is so that we are all then justified in the same way. That, you know, we are all in the same category, and so the solution to our problem is the same. It is faith in Christ. So this is a message that we can bring to the entire world, to both Jews and Gentiles, that though you are in sin, faith in Christ can save you as well. It's time for Milk, Not Solid Food. Well, Jeremy, to quote the Apostle Peter, there are some things that Paul says which are hard to understand. But, you know, both Paul and the rest of the biblical authors have said plenty of things that are, in fact, quite easy to understand as well. So let's just sit for a moment in the simple wisdom of Romans 16, verses 25 and 27. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ Well in the words of the immortal philosopher Porky Pig, that's all folks. We thank you for joining us. If anything you heard today has sent you into a blind theological rage, feel free to lambast us on social media. Alternatively, if you liked what you heard, have Bible verses you want us to break down or questions you think we can answer. You can send them to the John 315 podcast at gmail.com That's the John 315 podcast at gmail.com Thank you for listening.